finally gets the glory that he deserves. It's when Satan finally gets the judgment and the punishment that he deserves. It's a wonderful time. And a day that we certainly anticipate. It's the day that Jesus told us that we are to pray for that time to come. To pray for the kingdom to come on the earth. And it is that 1,000 year period on this planet that we believe is going to take place in the very near future. uh, About seven years from now or so. And we're anticipating that glorious, glorious time. But as we have made our way into this chapter, he's going to get the glory that he deserves in the kingdom. That's that's a given. And we've looked at places where the Bible is so clear about that, that everything that has breath is going to praise him in that day. And every man will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the manifest presence of Jesus Christ is here, literally, on this planet. And he rules the entire world, the Bible says, with a rod of iron as he sits on his throne in Jerusalem. It's a settled fact. It's coming. We are going to give him the praise and the glory that he deserves. What's up for question, though, is is he going to get the glory that he deserves today? And the bottom line answer to that is no, he's not, because most of the world doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and so it's an impossibility. But what's an even bigger question is, is he going to get the glory that he deserves from the people who claim to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? And we could go one step further and say the answer is no. It's not happening. I mean, it it could. The fact is, it ain't. But just because it isn't, and I do know how to use the King's English when I want to, but most of the time I just don't want to. But even though it's not happening worldwide, even in the people that know him, it doesn't mean that in me and you that can't be a reality. And that's really what we've been trying to allow God to do in us. And where this thing whole started, or started, was as we were talking about this from Revelation chapter 20. Do you remember we, we made our way back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10? And let me just remind you of what he says there. He says, now, now listen, what, what I'd like to do is I'd like to just remind you of what shook down with the children of Israel when I brought them out of Egypt. Okay? And what he says is they all experienced the same thing. They all, ex- they all experienced the supernatural hand of God that delivered them out of that bondage, and God supernaturally began to provide for them with the manna and with the water out of the rock, and they all experienced that glorious deliverance out of their bondage. And he says, but the fact is, most of them, died before they ever really realized God's purpose in bringing them out of that bondage that they were in in Egypt. And then he does a clincher. And he says, now listen, the reason I'm telling you that is because you are in danger of the same thing that happened to them happening to you. And so I'm not just telling you this to diss them out. I'm telling you this so that you'll learn the lesson that they failed to learn. And so what he does is he forces us to go back and look at the deliverance of God's people when they were in Egypt 
to see that as a picture of the fact that you and I were in the bondage of our sin. We were in Egypt. We were locked in this world system. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26 says that Satan held every single one of us captive at his will in his snare, and his snare is the world. Again, a beautiful picture in the Bible, or a very ugly picture in the Bible, of Egypt. And so what God is saying is, you've got to understand something. All of you that have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you've had this incredible deliverance of my hand, and you've experienced the provision of the water and of the bread of life, listen, you need to make sure that the same thing that happened to them doesn't happen to you. And we have seen that the reason that God brought them out of Egypt, and I want you to say it with me, is so that he could bring them into Canaan. Canaan representing for us the land that flows with milk and honey. What Canaan represents for those of us that know Jesus Christ is our Savior is the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. What it is, is the reason that God delivered us out of the bondage of our sin is not just so that we could have this testimony, hey, I'm going to heaven when I die. He says, listen, the reason that I delivered you out of the bondage of your sin was not just so you could have that testimony. Not just so that you could get an angry God off your back. Not just so you could be free from your guilt. He says, I brought you out of that to bring you into a land to bring you into a whole different type of life. And so over the last several weeks, what we've, what we've been doing is just talking about how we are so much like the children of Israel. Because what was for them as they were brought out of Egypt, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 tells us that what was supposed to be an 11-day journey from Egypt to Canaan actually took this group of people Forty years. It's a great picture of people all over this planet who've been saved for five, ten, fifteen, twenty, yea, forty years in the same wilderness the children of Israel found themselves in. And the sad fact is, y'all, most believers in the 21st century will die having never realized the purpose that God delivered them out of the bondage of their sin. And we're just asking God that He might shake us at the very core of our being and somehow slap into our brains the warning that He gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 and verse 11. Don't let what happened to them happened to you. And you know what? We I don't know how long we're gonna we're gonna do this, but I did felt led this week to talk about that time when they actually came in to the land. And so that we could at least see what actually took place when God took this group of people that for 40 years have been walking around in circles, and now here's the time where they're actually going to be brought into the land. And so I want to ask you to turn back with me to the book of Joshua. 
And we're looking at this. Now, don't miss the, the picture here. Maybe if you're new to, to the Bible, uh, or to this church even, maybe you're not accustomed to, to knowing that God laid out His book like this, that the Old Testament history that actually happened is really a picture for us of the Christian life, and God tells us that over and over and again. And so what we're doing, the reason we're going back to Joshua and looking at them coming into Canaan is because they're a picture of us. And what I want us to see, you can look at your study sheet this morning and see that it's not your average study sheet. Normally, I put down all of the important things that that I want you to be able to carry home with you. And you're looking at your study sheet going, well, he must not have too many important things to say today because there's not much on here. And quite to the contrary, as I was trying to take all of this and put that into an outline, what I found I was doing is I was forcing an outline because what I wanted you to get today is every single thing that I'm saying. And I felt like if I put down everything that I want you to get, for you to get it on your sheet, is going to take us a long time. And so what I want to ask you to do today is get everything that you can get and jot down everything that as it's coming, that God is, is showing to you. And so you're going to have to work just a little bit more than, than usual. Uh, but boy, there is just some incredible things that we're going to see this morning. So in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is about to lead the children of Israel into Canaan. And what God does here in this chapter is this is about to happen is he makes, God makes some key statements to Joshua. That when you begin to look at what he, he is saying, you begin to meditate on what God was saying to Joshua, and then you begin to cross reference those things so that you can really fully understand it. What you, what you find out is, is God is giving us here through the things that he's saying to Joshua, the principles that we've been looking for, y'all. It's the principles that we need so that we can enter into Canaan in the same way that the children of Israel did it physically. And let's begin this morning looking at Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. And now, Lord, as we go to this incredible passage of Scripture. Lord, I, I pray that you would do for us what is beyond the natural. I pray that you would take these words and show them to us 
and how it is that these words need to be applied to our lives so that we might enter into the fullness of life in Christ and might actually realize the purpose that you intended in bringing us out of the bondage of our sin. I pray for those that are here today that are still in that bondage, that this might be the day of their exodus, that this might be the day that they're brought out, and that for all of us that have been brought out, that this might be the day that you give to us the principles that we need to actually enter in to the fullness of who you've designed us to be. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we looked at the opening verses here, one of the things that God is just kind of underlining uh, underlining for us, he's just kind of taking a, a yellow highlighter out for us and, and he's reminding us of something. He's telling Joshua, now Joshua, Moses is dead. Now, do you think, ah, oh, well, God, I had no clue. Joshua knows that Moses is dead. I'm submitting to you God's saying this so that we'll understand the context here. And we'll just begin to look around and snoop around at some of the things. Moses is dead. Okay? Now that ought to to tell this group of people in this room. It ought to tell us something, y'all. Look at the previous page there, Deuteronomy 34. And what we find in verse 7 of this chapter is that Moses died a very old man. The dude was 120. Anybody here 120 today? Anybody close other than me? He died an old man, but God wants to be sure to let us know that he didn't die because he was an old man. In fact, quite to the contrary. Verse 7 says that although he was 120, look at it, his eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. In other words, even though he was 120, he still died a pretty youthful pup. He he was not at 120, some old weak codger, you know, barely getting around. What God is saying is that there was no natural explanation for his death. You know why he died, y'all? And I don't know how to put this in a, in a, a soft package other than to say that God put him to sleep, just like you do your dog. God put him to sleep. And, and I think that there's a lesson in that that everybody in this room needs to make sure that we don't miss. And it's this. If Moses, you know, if Moses didn't make it into Canaan, there isn't anybody in this room this morning. They can just take for granted that because of who you are, you're going to make it into Canaan because, man, you are this special privileged being. I, I want you to check out the epitaph that God writes for Moses. Now, for you junior high, epitaph is it's, it's like what they put on your tombstone, okay? It, it's like... And you know why I tell you guys this? 
so that all of us old folks don't feel stupid. You know, I'm trying to define my terms, and I use you guys. You know, as a, you guys probably know what epitaph is because you're in vocabulary class. But all of us old, we don't know what that is. So I'm telling them right now, as I'm telling you. Okay, what, what an epitaph is is it's a, a concisement of your life. Okay, it's just kind of putting your life on the sifter and bringing it all down into a little statement. And God does that. For us in Moses' life, look in verse 10 of Deuteronomy 34. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, watch this, whom the Lord knew face to face, and all the signs and the wonders, that's miracles, which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and in all that mighty hand, and in all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel. You know what God's saying to us here? Moses was the man. And God, all the people thought Moses was a man. But what we're seeing here is that God thought so too. And you go over to Hebrews chapter 11, you don't, you don't need to. But if you go over to Hebrews chapter 11, what you find is that as God is bringing you through this great gallery of all of the great men and women who have lived down through the annals of human history, what you're going to find is when you come into that chapter, is there's more space given to Moses than anybody else. You know why? Because Moses was the man. If you want to find a great example of somebody that had faith, Moses is the man. You can search it, this this book through, and there have been some men that have been men of great integrity. You're not going to find anybody that had better integrity than Moses. You know what? You begin to go into this book and find somebody that had patience. We always think of Job. You know who had some incredible patience? This dude Moses, man. He's dealing with millions of people that gripe and complain and murmur about everything. And they're doing this for 40 years. Moses was one of the greatest leaders that has ever lived. And yet we come into the book of Joshua. As they're about to come into the land, and what we find out is that Moses, the great Moses, died in the wrong place. God told him, to speak to the rock because the people were thirsty. And you know what happened? Most of you know what happened. He struck the rock two times. And God said, okay, you're going to do it your own way. And just for that, you ain't going in. So let's all learn real quick. We ain't going in our own way. You go in God's way. And, and I think everybody in this room needs to just make sure that we're filing in our heads that no matter, no matter who we think we are, no matter how much character we think that we possess, and in fact, no matter how much character we may genuinely possess, let's forget what we think. Moses was a man of character. No matter how great a job we think that we've done with, with our kids, in our job, in discipleship, on missions trips, and, and we can just go on and on and on. No matter how wonderful, listen now, no matter how wonderful your relationship with God is today. Did, did you check that out in verse 10? 
whom God knew face to face. Y'all, they had, Moses and God, they had an intimate love relationship. And I'm just telling you, the guy died in the wrong place. And let us learn that God feels no sense of obligation to anyone. And if not to Moses, certainly not to anybody in this room. Certainly not the guy that's running his mouth right now. In fact, the, the, the fact is, as soon as any of us think that we've come to the place that we can do this Christian life thing our own way, you know what's going to happen? God is most certainly going to let you. Because when you decide to put yourself in the driver's seat, God says, well, I hope you've got plenty of gas. Because, baby, you're driving. Go for it. Hope, hope you do real well through those, those storms up ahead. And what he does is he takes his hands off. So let's let the fact of when Moses died and where Moses died be a lesson to all of us. He died in the wilderness, just like most of them, having never entered into Canaan. Okay, so in Joshua chapter 1, God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. And what he does is he installs Joshua, as we just read, as the leader. Joshua was now going to be the human instrument that God was going to use to bring them into the land. And notice in verse 2 of Joshua chapter 1, that after making the point that Moses was dead, God says to him, Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan. In other words, Joshua, now get ready now because the time has come to lead the people into this land that we've been talking about forever and ever and ever. In fact, for the last 40 years. And, and, and you see, at this point, the Jordan River is the only barrier. I mean, they're right up against it. The only barrier between them and the promised land is the Jordan River. They cross that thing and they're in. And I want you to notice what God says to Joshua in verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Okay, and what I want you to do right here is I want you to just file in your head that what God was actually offering to Joshua wasn't anything that hadn't already been offered to Moses. What, what he was talking about here, that he was making available to Joshua was the very thing that was available all along to Moses. It, it, it's not like God is saying to Joshua, Okay, Josh, here's the deal. Here is the deep, dark secret for entering into Canaan. Here it is, man. I'm about to give you this new truth. And you see, if Moses would have had this new truth, if he would have known this deep, dark secret, Josh, you know what? Mo would have made it too, but he didn't have it. So I'm giving this thing to you. No. He says, as I said to Moses, same exact deal. And the reason I'm saying that, because some of you are looking like, whatever. What do you, what do you say? What I'm saying is, we're a group of people it's talking about getting into Canaan. You know what we're looking for? We're looking for the deep, dark secret, aren't we? Pastor Mark, just tell us. 
How do we get out of this wilderness? And God says, Josh, it's time to go in. But you need to understand something. There ain't no new truth that's going to get you there. There's no deep, dark secret. Moses had the truth all along. I mean, it kind of sounds like the Wizard of Oz, doesn't it? I'm not going to go there. We, we've been there too many times through the years. But drop down to verse 5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Now, I want you to listen to what, what God's actually saying to Joshua. Look at it again in verse 5. As I was with Moses, okay, now get it, Moses is the one that brought them out of Egypt. As I was with Moses in bringing Israel out of Egypt, so I'll be with you, Joshua, in bringing Israel in to Canaan. In other words, Josh, let me just clue you in. The same principles that were put into place to bring Israel out of Egypt, guess what? It's the same exact principles that need to be utilized that are going to bring you in to Canaan. In other words, everything it took to bring my people out is exactly what it's going to take to bring them in. And again, the question that we have as a church right now is how can we come to the place where we know the fullness of life in Christ and all that God intended our salvation to be? And again, I'm afraid that maybe through this journey that we've been through in the wilderness, it's brought us to the place to where we think that there's some something hidden that we haven't yet learned that, man, when we hit on that... And if, Oh, God, be with Pastor Mark this week and help him to find that answer. And what God's trying to get us to see here, we've already got the answer. You know what our problem is? We're just like them. We don't know what that answer is. We got it. We just can't put our finger on it. And oh, my goodness, I love the way that God puts this book together. Because you know what this is all about? As I was with Moses, so I shall be with you. Go over to the book of Colossians for a sec. Now, we'll be coming back to Joshua. Colossians chapter 2. And watch what he says... Colossians chapter 2. You already know where we're going? Look at verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. And you know what it is, y'all? It's the same exact principle that God is trying to show Joshua back in Joshua chapter 1. What he's saying here is you're going to know 
how to live the Christian life in all the fullness that God intended and designed that life to be, you're going to do that as you employ the same principle that you used when you received Him. And all God's people said, what else you got for us? That's your deep, dark secret right there, y'all. God's just spelled it out. If you want to know how to live in the fullness of all of this Christian life really is, you live this with the same exact thing that brought you out of the bondage that you were in. It's the same exact principle. And and that's why the title on your study sheet, The Way Out, is The Way In. Now folks, what, what he's letting us know here is that if you understood what needed to happen to be brought out of Egypt, out of your sin, what he's saying is you understand what needs to happen for you to be brought in to Canaan. If you know how to become a Christian, you know how to be the Christian that you become. Now, God has already made you and has already given you the fullness of life in Christ. Okay? And if you understood how you got there, then God says, then you'll understand how to actually put into practice everything that you've become. Now, the question is, how did we become a Christian. Now, now, let me ask you, did you become a Christian because of all of your incredible works that you brought to the table? Did you get there by human effort? No. It was by faith. It was faith in God. And specifically, faith in what God did through the Lord Jesus Christ in paying the penalty for our sin. You're in Colossians. Just turn back to the left for just a second to the book of Galatians. Just a, really just a three or four or five, six pages over there. Galatians chapter one. And by this point in the book, actually Paul is a little fried, man. He is just a little cheesed at this point. And that's why he says in verse 1, Oh foolish Galatians! Now, you know what? It, it's I, I hate when somebody, you know what, drops, you are a fool. I, you know what? I don't take too kindly to that, you know? Do you? Is somebody calling you a fool? That's what he's doing with this group of believers here. Oh foolish Galatians! Who hath, and watch this one, bewitched you, man. That ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. He says, this only would I learn of you. I just, hey, just tell me one thing. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? And what he's saying is is this, listen, you became a Christian by faith, not by your human effort. 
And he says, now what you're trying to do is you're trying to live this Christian life thing. You're trying to live it by human effort. And the point that he's trying to make is, is nobody could live the Christian life by human effort any more than there could be somebody on this planet who could enter the Christian life by human effort. He's letting us know it's an impossibility. And, and what you need to understand here is this, what he's talking about here in Galatians chapter 3. This is what the children of Israel did in the wilderness for 40 long years. The same thing that the Galatians were trying to do. They lived and they functioned totally by human resources, by human wisdom, by human strength. And remember what we were talking about at the beginning this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, now listen, I'm telling you this so that what happened to Israel doesn't happen to you so that you don't make the same mistake. And the fact is, we don't learn from Israel. And we do make the same mistake. The reason that, that most Christians spend most of their life in the wilderness is they are actually genuinely trying to get into Canaan. But the way they're trying to get there is so different from how they came out of their sin. They would have no more thought that they could get out of their sin by what they did than the man in the moon. And yet there's just something in our minds, y'all, that just clicks after we've come out and we said, all right, and now it's up to me to get my buns in there and by golly, I'm going to do it. And so, man, we're laboring tenaciously. And the more we labor to try to get in there, the more we're unable to actually do this thing. Now, now remember, okay? Remember the principle that God was giving to Joshua back in Joshua chapter 1. He said, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Okay? So since it was as it was with Moses in bringing Israel out of Egypt... We've, we've got to find out how it was with Moses when he came out of Egypt. Okay, if it was as, we need to know how. Okay, so let's, let's go back to Exodus chapter 3 and let's just see what we see pictured for us. Okay, now we, we know the truth. This, the, the good news is it's simple. You, you know what, what is probably bumming a lot of you guys out? Is that it's just simple. Because we really wanted a deep, dark secret. Because the simple stuff we think we've tried. When the fact is, what God's showing us is it was our human effort that was energizing it, and that's the reason we can't do it. Okay? As it was with Moses. How was it when Moses brought them out of Egypt? Exodus chapter 3. Now, I've been running my gums. Y'all are there, and I'm not. Exodus chapter 3, <clears throat> and let, let's look at verse, <clears throat> verse 1. Now, M Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and 
he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt, which is just an absolute crack-up to me. You know, boom, this thing just busts into flames and it's, it's, it's not being consumed. What I will now do is I will come over and I will look at this and see why it does not burn. It's, it's like, you know, Batman and Robin episode or something. Gee, Batman. Okay, enough of that. Verse 4, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father. And what I want you to begin to see is God is going to, talk a whole lot about him right now, okay? I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. He was getting the picture. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, unto a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Mosquitoites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, The cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. And probably about this point, Moses is going, oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You go, God. I've been waiting for you to see this. I saw this thing 40 years ago, and man, I'm just glad that you got with the times and you know what's going on. And God, I want you to know, I am absolutely grinning that you are going to deliver these people. That is so cool, God. But look at verse 10. God says to Moses, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought you said you were going to do that. And you see, and we, we, mentioned, we mentioned this last week. This is why the first thing when Moses comes over to the bush and God begins to speak to him, the first thing he asks him for is his... And if you didn't understand... first thing he asked him for was his shoes. He says, Moses, get out of your shoes. Now, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this. Because I've seen this. And I've seen this. And I've seen this. I'm going to do this. But the reason that I asked you for your shoes is I'm going to do it in your shoes 
And there's a great principle there. And we didn't have time to really work this last week. I really don't have time to work it today, but I don't want you to miss the principle. The beginning place for being effectively used for God is offering God your shoes. As long as you're doing it, then you're the deliverer, man. And so God asks for his his shoes. You, You know what is weird? When Joshua comes to the very first city, when they come to Canaan, the angel of the Lord's host appears to him. You all know who that was that showed up there that appeared to him? Who was it? It it was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, the captain of the Lord's host. He shows up. What's the first thing that he asked Joshua for? He asked him for his shoes. What's up, man? God hard up for shoes or what? (laughs) As I was with Moses... So I'll be with you, Joshua. I needed Moses' shoes to get this thing done. Joshua, I need your shoes to get this thing done. And and listen, the job that God has given to us to deliver the people of this planet, you know what God needs first and foremost from every single person in this room? He needs your shoes. And, And it's just real interesting. There's three times in the Bible God talks about beautiful feet. The first time is in Song of Solomon, chapter 7 and verse 1. And and you know what's going on in Song of Solomon. I think you know this. Solomon, the... Who is he? He's the son son of David who took to himself a Gentile bride and he looks at her and he says, You have got incredible feet, man. I mean, that's probably what turns you on about your wife, right? Oh, man, this baby's got some feet now. <laughs> he says, oh, again, Song of Solomon 7.1, How beautiful are thy feet with, anybody know the next word? With shoes. And you go back to Ephesians chapter 6, and he's, as he's telling us as believers how to put on the whole armor of God, he says, make sure that your feet are shod with the preparation of the of the gospel. And that's why in Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7 it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings. You know what the gospel is? It's good news. It's good tidings. And God says, Some nice feet you got there with them shoes on. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 15 it says, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. And you know what? In this whole thing of of delivering people out of the bondage of their sin, and that's what God gives us the privilege of doing. Do you know what? God could have chosen any means that He wanted to to get them the message. He could have done it Himself, man. He showed up with Moses. He could have contracted angels and said, hey, y'all, go do this. But you know one thing you never see angels doing? You never see angels evangelizing. You know why? It's reserved for people. 
people like you and me. And, and if you, you know what? If you miss the whole Canaan gig, the thing that you need to make sure that you get is, does God have my shoes? Is God walking in my shoes? Am I living for God? Or is God living through me? So God says, yeah, Moses, listen, I'm going to deliver my people, but I'm going to use you. And I want you to notice Moses' question in, in verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I? I mean, come on, God. Me? Who am I? I mean, God, come on. You, you know, I'm the guy that 40 years ago, I saw what you're now seeing. I saw the affliction of the Israelites. I, I saw that. And, and you remember, I tried to take matters into my own hands. And I remember I, I killed that Egyptian. Do you remember that from back in chapter 2? He, he, he figures out that, that he really isn't an Egyptian that his mom has sailed him down the river and he's grown up in Pharaoh's court and he finds out that he actually is an Israelite and he sees an Egyptian, you know, picking on uh, uh, an Israelite. And so what he does is after the guy walks away, he comes over and says, hey, you messing with my people or what? And so he thumps the dude, buries him in the sand, and he thinks he's, you know, he's all cool. The next day, two Israelites are arguing and... Moses steps in and says, hey, what's up with y'all? Why, why are you doing all of this? And the guy says, oh, oh you're going to thump me like you did that Egyptian yesterday? And he's like, yikes, the word's out. And the word was out. I mean, Pharaoh knew and Pharaoh was already looking for Moses, man, because he wanted to slay him, the scripture says. And so he's saying, come on, God. Me, I'm the guy that, that took matters into my own hands once already. I mean, come on, remember me? I'm the guy that, that spent 40 years just tending these dirty, sorry, nasty sheep for my father-in-law. And, and what's interesting, as, as Moses asked this question, Who am I? You know what is real cool? Is that God doesn't answer him. You know, it, it's not like God says, well... You know what, Moses, over the last 40 years, without you actually realizing, what I've really been doing is I've been grooming you for this incredible task. You see, without you really realizing it, my people are a whole lot like sheep, and what I've been letting you do is just get some practice on sheep because all the principles you've learned in leading sheep, all the principles you're going to need to learn to lead my people. And you know what, Moses, you've been living with your mother-in-law for the last 40 years. Now I've got a million people that are going to be grumbling and complaining and murmuring. And you know what, Moses? One mother-in-law is probably equal to millions of people. And so, Mo, without you realizing it, man, I've got you set up for, for this, this task. Nope. God doesn't say any of that. He asks, Who am I? And God doesn't answer the question. He simply tells him in verse 12, Moses, I will be with thee. And you know what God is saying to Moses by telling him that? Now listen, it's important. What he's saying here is, who you are, Moses, isn't the issue. It's who I am. That's the issue. 
who you are doesn't mean anything. Are, are all those things important? And was God actually grooming him? Yeah. Was that going to make the difference? No. For without me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. So yeah, God's been grooming him. But the issue is not who Moses was. It was who God is. And, and look at what Moses said says in verse 13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Okay, his first question was, Who am I? You know what he's asking now? Who are you? That's what he's saying. Who, who, who are you? And watch God's answer in verse 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. That'll work. I, I, you know, and you, you read that, and, and at first glance there, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like God isn't being real cooperative with him. Hey, you want to know who I am? I am that I am. That's who I am. But that's not what God's saying. He says to Moses, Moses, what you can count on is that I am. Present tense. Everything that you're ever going to need, Moses, in any situation, anytime your back gets against the wall, Moses, anytime you find yourself in a crisis, anytime that you find yourself in a valley, anytime you find yourself, Moses, where you're needing to make a decision, at any time, Moses, I want you to know, I am all you'll ever need. And you know what God's saying to us in all of this? He's saying, Moses... Bringing my people out is really two things. Do what I say and trust who I am. Just do what I say and trust who I am. And, and you need to understand something, y'all. Those two things are very, very closely tied together. Because the fact is, you can't do one without the other. You'll never be able to do what God says. I mean, if God's really telling you to do something, the way that you'll know that it's God is you cannot look at that thing and see the human possibilities in it. And so he, he says, listen, if you're, if you're ever really going to be able to do what I say, you're going to have to trust who I am. And yet the opposite is also true. You, you'll never really be able to trust God Unless you do what he says. And, and let me make, make sure that you're remembering why it is that you need to be listening to all of this. Okay? And what, where it is you need to file this in your head. It's because the way out is the way in. What it took to come out is what it's going to take to come in. And what you need to see is doing what God said is always going to bring to us some incredible risks. I mean, you, you, let, let's take this example of, of Moses. Look, look back in verse, verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Okay, now you, you do remember that Moses grew up 
in, in Pharaoh's court. You remember, we, we talked about it a minute ago. You know, the Pharaoh had sent out the decree that all the, the firstborn male children of the Israelites would be, would be wiped out. And so his mama put him in the little boat, sent him down the river. And Pharaoh's daughter is out there. She yanks him out of the river and then pays Moses' mother to, to nurse him. And, and he grows up in, in Pharaoh's court with the absolute best education, the best food, the, the, the best everything. And, it, he is the man, and he is being groomed to become the next Pharaoh, and yet Moses finds out who he really is. And do you understand what's behind all of this deal of going to Pharaoh? Do you know the risk that Moses was going to have to take in doing that? Now, remember, 40 years back... He killed the Egyptian, and Pharaoh was on his tail and wanted to kill him. Okay, now that Pharaoh was dead, the one that was trying to kill him way back then. But do you understand that growing up in Pharaoh's court, the guy that actually did become the Pharaoh probably would have been one of his little cup buddies when they were little kids running around in Pharaoh's court going to school. That Pharaoh, I promise you, would have known who Moses was and would have known that he killed an Egyptian, would have known his true identity, would have known that he had become, in, at least in their minds, a traitor. And now God's saying, now Moses, here's what I want to do. I'm going to deliver these people and I want to do it in your shoes. And so the first item up for bids on this thing is, I want you to go to Pharaoh. Now listen, humanly speaking, man, I mean, he is putting his life on the line to do this thing. For Moses to go to Pharaoh, listen, to do what God said, you know what Moses was going to have to do? Say it. He's going to have to trust who God is. Don't miss that. Do what God said. Trust who God is. And that's exactly what God had placed Moses in the position that he was going to have to do that. Trust that the God who is, the I am, is going to be with you, Moses, in a supernatural way. And, and do you understand, folks, that the whole ten plagues gig was just based on that whole principle? God was going to act miraculously. He was going to show who He is as Moses and God's people did what God said. Until they stepped out in faith and did what God said... There was nothing to actually trust in who God is, only the, 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 the leap of faith in that what we believe about God, we believe we can follow His Word, we can obey what He says, and we can do this thing. And, and the principle is this, y'all. That's the way the children of Israel came out. And God says to Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1, the way that I brought them out through Moses is the way that I'm going to bring them in through you, Joshua. So now go back to Joshua chapter 1. And what I want you to see, God says to Joshua, and He tells him this, this several times in the passage. Look in verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this, this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land, watch this now, which I do 
give to them. Look at verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot shall trot upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, listen, shall be your coast. And God keeps saying, now listen, I, I'm giving you the land. I'm giving you the land. All you've got to do is you just got to step out by faith. Just do what I tell you to do. But watch what he says after he's just given them the promise of giving them the land. Watch what he says in verse 6. Be strong and have a good courage. Look in verse 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Look at verse 9. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. And what I want you to see here is three times now. God says, you better be strong. You better be of good courage. You better be strong. You better be very courageous. You better be strong. You better be of good courage. Now, God is not a redundant God. God doesn't have Alzheimer's. When God tells you something like that, He repeats it. He's repeating it for a purpose. Now, he's just told them three times, I've given you the land. I've given you the land. I've given you the land. And then he says, be strong, good courage. Be strong, good courage. Be strong and of good courage. And you know what he's trying to get Joshua to see? Joshua, I've given you the land. Now, all you've got to do to get it. It's just do what I say. But you need to understand something. In order for you to do what I say, you're going to have to trust who I am. And you know what? It's the same way that it was with Moses, right? That's the way they were brought out. Do what I say. Trust who I am. And, and God says, now listen, when you do what I say, that's when I'm going to intervene. That's when I'm going to do the miraculous. When you step out in faith and you do what I say, you watch and see what's going to happen. But now, now listen, the opposite is what we want. We want the opposite. You know what we want? We want God to show us the miraculous. And then we will step out in faith. God, you do your thing, and then I'll do mine. And you know what? If that's the way that it is, then it's not of it's not of faith. But God says, listen, you just do what I tell you. And I know that in doing what I tell you, it's going to put you at risk, just like it did with Pharaoh, with Moses. I know that. Do what I say. I don't know, God. You know what he comes back with? Just trust who I am. And listen, if God has ever told you to do something, and you've got clear direction that God has told you to do this from His Word, you can step out in faith. And you know what? When you step out in faith, you will see God intervene and do the absolute impossible, just like He did through Moses and just like He did through Joshua. But the fact is, y'all, we will never actually prove God outside of our obedience. 
God is not going to prove Himself to us until we will obey Him. You know, we, we've come to the place as a church, if you look around, we're as big as we can be. And our goal here is not to be big. Our goal is to reach as many people as we can on this planet as we can possibly reach. But what are we going to do? Well, we're going to, we're going to build a new building? Is that what God is saying to us at this point in our history? God still wants us to reach people. And, and we, we talked about this this last Sunday. Uh, the, the only explanation that we could give God is, God, we're going we're gonna to step out by faith. We're going we're gonna to build a new church or let you build a new church in this place. And what we're, what we're doing as a church, y'all, is we're stepping out by faith. Hey, you know what? It's been real nice this morning to do what we've done. We've sung wonderfully, and man, it is really cool to be able to do that with full room. And you know what? It's a little bit risky. You know, you have a little bit of oomph taken out of this thing when we divide this group of people in half, and, and one's coming at one time, and one's coming at another, and we're all coming back on Sunday night. It, you know, it's a little spooky. There's some some risk. But you know what? I, I think that we're at the place to where God is, is saying to us, now, now listen, I'll do some incredible stuff. You guys have been praying for years that God would use you to reach the world. And now, if you'll just step out in faith and you'll obey me and you'll do what I'm telling you to do, I'll step in and I'll begin to do things that you never thought possible. I'll begin to work through you guys in your own field to reach people like you've never been able to reach them before. But I'll just tell you this. As long as we tell God, well, God, cram them into this building right now. And then, man, when the place is packed out, we've got several hundred more people in this room that we've reached with the gospel. Then we'll go to the two services. And God says, nope. We'll just keep it right here until you guys... We'll just step out by faith. And, and you know what you see in, in, in the book of Exodus as God was bringing them out? God intervened and He did the miraculous every time they did what God said. And you know what's interesting? When you move into the book of Joshua, and as they're coming into the land, you, you know what you find? Every time that they did what God said... God intervened on their behalf. And what God keeps trying to, to, to say through this whole deal is, the way I brought you out is the way I'll bring you in. Learn the same principles. And the, the principle that brought you out is you had to do what I said. And in order to do what I said, you had to trust who I was. And coming into the land is just like that. You're going to have to do what I say. And you're going to have to trust who I am. Look in chapter 3 of Joshua in verse 5. Chapter 3, and verse 5. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves. Okay, now that, let's do what God said. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Hey, y'all, let's do what God said. And, and you watch. Watch God begin to go to work when we take Him at His word. And drop down to verse 10 of chapter 3. 
And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe of man, and it shall come to pass... As soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, then the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon in heat. Okay, now, now, now just listen. What, what God is saying is, it's time to cross over. The, the barrier between you and coming into the land of Canaan is the Jordan. Now, here's the deal. You take the priest with the ark of the covenant, and... What's going to happen is when they do what I say, I'm going to I'm going to intervene on your behalf. And as soon as the soles of their feet touch that water, whoa, the water is going to come back. Now, is there anybody in this room that thinks the waters were going to go back until those soles of their feet touch that water? It wasn't going to happen. But as soon as they did what God said, whoa. Those waters rolled back. We don't have the time to go to it. I'm going to have to get into to hustle mode. Listen, they come to Jericho, and God says, Okay, here's the battle plan. On the first day, walk around the city, and when you get done, blow your trumpet. Okay, great battle plan, God. Second day, what I want you to do is walk around that city and blow your trumpet. And what I want you to do is I want you to do that for six days. Oh, great plan, God. Sounds pretty heavy duty. Macho, man. We're going to walk around and blow a trumpet. And he says, now listen, on the seventh day, what I want you to do is I want you to walk around it seven times. And then I want seven priests to blow seven trumpets. And when you do that, the walls of the city are going to come down. And I'm going to give you the victory. Was the victory in their marching? was the victory in the trumpets. You know what the victory was in? Doing what God said. And then God gave them the victory. Listen, the way that you live the Christian life is the same way that you got in. There came a day in your life where God showed you that you were a sinner and there was nothing that you could do about it. And He showed you the gospel and He said, now repent. And what you did is you... Obeyed God based on what you believed about who he was from that book. And God says, now listen, the same way that you received me, that's what I want you to do to get into Canaan. You know what it's going to take to get into Canaan, y'all? And if you can't say it right now, you probably have missed the point of the message. To get into Canaan, do what God said. And trust who God is. Do what God said. Trust who God is. But understand, to do what God said is going to put you at risk. Because self somewhere is in that whole equation. And self's going to have to be dealt with. And so it's going to definitely put you at risk in the same way that Moses' life was on the line in order to obey God. And, and, and you know what? I'm just going to have to... I was, I was wanting to show you this principle... I'm going to have to just tell it to you. Okay, so listen up and you can check it out. I've got the verses on that last point. They're written down. But just, just, just look at me and just listen. Okay? 
when, when, they, when they came into that Jordan River, and the priests come in, and the soles of their feet touch that, well, <clears throat> the water goes back. And, and what he tells them there is he says, now, what I want these priests to do is I want them to grab seven big old stones out of that riverbed. I want them to take them. And what I want to do is I want to build a monument over here with these 12 stones, one for the, each of the 12 tribes of Israel. I, I want to build these, these 12 stones there. And the reason I want to do this is so that when your children come by it, they're going to go, what's up with, hey, Dad, what, what's up with that pile of stones right there? And he says, the reason that I want you to do that is so that you can tell them how God brought you in. You know how God brought him in? Same way he brought him out. Ring a bell? That, that, that whole when your children ask thing? You remember back in Exodus chapter 12 when God was bringing him out? He says, now listen, what I want you to do on this day every year, I want you to have a feast. And, and I want you to celebrate this. This is the feast of the... This is the feast of the Passover. And the reason I want you to do this every year is so that when you do this, so that your children will say, Hey, Dad, what's up with this feast? And you could say, This is what God did to bring us out. And what I'm trying to get you to see here, God, how many, how many different ways can God find to tell us the same message? What brought you out? is what brought you in. What brought you out? God. You know what we did? We did what God said, and God intervened on our behalf, and we found out we could trust who He is. You know what brought us in? What we did is we did what God said, and when we did what God said, God miraculously moved, and the waters went back. God parted the waters of the Red Sea to bring us out. He parted the waters of the Jordan to bring us in. And I want you to have something... To help you give your testimony. Do you understand that that's what the Passover was? And that's what those 12 stones are here? It was their testimony. God brought me out here. God brought us in here. But there's a major, major difference. In these two aspects of the testimony. This was a one-time act of God delivering them out of Egypt. The date was marked on the calendar. It came around once every year. The Jews still celebrate Passover to this day. Once a year. This is a one-time act and you memorize this act. You go through all of this so that your kids will ask you, What's up with this meal? And you can say, this is where God brought us out. It's an act. This one over here, you know what? As long as they were cruising around those rocks, you know? I mean, the kid's going to play football with his dad. Hey, Dad, what's up with those rocks? Well, this is what God did to bring us in. Little kids going to, go to lunch or going to school with Mama, you know? They're going to school. Hey, Mom, what's up with them rocks? And every time you pass by, it's a reminder of what God did to bring us in. And you know what the, the difference is? That was a one-time act. This 
is a day-by-day-by-day testimony of us simply coming to the place to where every single day of our life, y'all, what living in Canaan is all about is just every day of our life doing what God said. And what? Say it. Trusting who God is. There's no big, deep, dark secret. That's all it is. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. What I did to bring you out, same thing I did to bring you in. I'm asking you right now about your testimony. Now listen, everybody in this room, have you ever come to the place in your life where God has actually brought you out? You see, the testimony of most of the people in this room is we can look back over our shoulders and we can go to a day, a certain point in time, where God brought us out of the bondage of our sin. And I'm just asking you this. Can you go back in your life to any time where you came to the place to where you understood that there was nothing that you could do to remove yourself from the bondage of your sin, and so you did what God said. You trusted the gospel of Jesus Christ. He intervened on your behalf based on who He is, and He did the miraculous thing of taking your dead spirit and bringing it to life. Do you have that as part of your testimony? And if not, listen, that's what God wants you to get this morning. He wants to deliver you out of the bondage of your sin. And it can happen today if you'll just simply do what God said and trust who God is. It's really that simple. And if you try it, like we talked about earlier, if you try to throw human works in that thing, it never happened. I'm asking the rest of you now. Do you have a pile of stones here? I mean, have you ever come to the place in your life to where you just took your life, you took your shoes off, and you said, okay, God, I realize I can't do this myself. So, God, I offer you my shoes, and I'm asking you, God, to step in, and you live this life. And, God, what you show me from your word, I'll simply obey it. And I realize that a lot of times, most of the time, when you're actually showing me what it is that I need to do in my life, it's going to put me at great risk. And so, God, I'm coming to you right now and saying, I trust who you are. And no matter what you tell me in your word, I'll do it because I believe in you, not me, not my ability to do this thing. I surrender. Let's pray. Now, if you're here this morning and you never have come to the first part of that testimony, and you've never been brought out of your sin, man, it can happen for you today. And it's not like, you know, you've got to go to... 10 trillion classes. It's not like you got to know a whole bunch more than you already know about the Bible. I'm just asking you, do you know you're a sinner? Will you believe God in that there is nothing that you can do to bring yourself out of that sin?
Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God and that He took your sin through His death, burial, and resurrection so that you might have eternal life? Would you just do what God says and call upon the name of the Lord to save you today? And listen, if you'll do what God says, I promise you, He'll intervene and do the miraculous. You know what He'll do? He'll save you today. He'll change your eternal destiny. And in so doing, He'll change your life. And that's available for you. And as our service is being brought to a conclusion this morning, I want you to know how to respond. If God's speaking to your heart, and today you want to be brought out of Egypt, you want to be brought out of the bondage of your sin, our pastors are going to be up on either side of the front of this room, right up by the the front doors on on your left and on your right. And, And today, you could be brought out miraculously by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll just respond, and I encourage you to to come talk to one of our pastors. If you're a lady, they'll get a lady to talk with you. If you're a man, they'll get a man to talk with you. If you're a young person, man, respond to what God is saying to you today. And now, church, I'm not sure what you expected when you came in today. But what God has tried to do is say, hey guys, don't make it hard. Don't make this something that is impossible. Because, you know what? It is impossible in your strength, but if you give me your shoes, I'll do it. You just do what I tell you to do. Trust who I am. I'll bring you into that land. How many of you would say today, nobody looking around, Lord, I offer you my shoes. I lay my life down to do what you say, and I will trust who you are to bring me into that land. If that's your testimony today, would you just raise your hand right now? Oh, God bless you all. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would take the the simple truths that we've talked about today, And you, you talked in Second Corinthians 11 about how it is that we could be moved away from the simplicity that is in Christ. And Lord, so many of the books that you read about entering into Canaan or living in the fullness, it, oh, it just seems like it's just never attainable and just always outside of our reach and never really something that we understand and yet you made it so simple so simple that it, it it would be real easy for us as humans to miss what you're really saying and so lord would you right now just solidify this in our mind help this to be as simple as you declared it to be through all of the examples of what you just Everything that we looked at this morning, just saying the same thing to us over and over and over. And so, Lord, would you just take that simple message and help us to realize that the way out teaches us everything that we know about the way in. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us out. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of bringing us in. May we realize it. And, Lord... I pray that this would be the day that there would be people that are in this room right now that are still in the bondage of their sin. 
may this be the day that they're brought out. For your glory's sake, amen.